the, uh, I guess this is the first car cast from 35 headed south. And uh, the guest, uh, Levi, joins me. Hey guys, hey girls, hey everyone. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an athletic road trip. We are headed down to watch respective, uh, the respective minor league teams on our beats. The uh, Texas Stars play a playoff game tonight. Headed down to watch that, and uh, Levi's headed over to. Uh, Going to drop Levi off in Round Rock for the uh, what first pitching appearance in like a year and a half or something like that. Yeah, or... Tim Lincecum, Timmy baby, he's back. We're gonna watch some baseball. We're gonna see the freak pitch to some minor league uh, hitters. I'm excited. I've never been to the Dell Diamond, and I'm in the the strange position of being a Rangers beat writer, but you know, my my road trip out of here has far more experience at the Dell Diamond than I do. Yeah, Dell Diamond's a nice park. Um, I lived in Austin for four years. I covered the Express quite a bit for various publications, quite a few publications. And uh, it's a nice park. The uh, There's the food selection's good. It's kind of, it's got a nice, it's got a bunch of nice unique features that you, uh, there's the, uh, just we were talking before we record about how if you're a fan uh, and autographs are your thing or player interaction are your thing it's set up if you get over there early that the players walk over the concourse to get to the uh, the clubhouse um, there's the uh, the best seats in the house though are they have the rocking chairs um, that you can rent out on the there are these rocking chairs you can rent out and you can watch from the uh, it's the left field left field side. It's under an awning. It's shaded. You can watch from these rocking chairs. And you can see the game. From you can the see the game. Team. Yes. Oh my gosh. Those are the uh, those are the best seats in the house. Um, and then the one thing they always did, which was great, which was kind of covered them for four you covered part on and off for four years, was every year uh, they would always uh, they would always try and add something new each year. I don't know what they added new for this year. One year was a big new video board. One year it was, uh, they changed up, like added, like really spruced up the concessions. So it's, uh, next year it'll be an entirely new organization worth of players. Yes, next year will be that. <laughs> for those that don't know, the, the Houston Astros will be the affiliate, or the, the Express will be an affiliate of the Houston Astros next year. And the Rangers are, uh, going to have to be somewhere else. We don't know where yet. We'll so, find out. So Levi's making this drive while he can. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, Round Rock, nice place to see a game. I think they do traditional fireworks quite often, like any good minor league team does. And uh, it's, uh, it's, a fun, it's a fun place to see a game. Uh, one thing that uh, bringing Levi on here, which I think we'll kind of for those who listened to the CarCast before, really, this has no flow or form whatsoever. It just is a free-flowing road trip conversation. Uh, yeah. One thing I wanted to bring Levi on because here, because I think it was kind of uh, it's kind of a fun but simple question, because I think your background's fascinating. Okay. Is uh, how did we get here right now? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I always I think you're. Your back, I've asked you about it before, but uh, I think I think your backstory is interesting how we've reached this point. How far back do we want to go on this, Sean? Are we going all the way back to, like, Rodeo Cowboy? Is that where we're... I think we have to go back. I think we have to go back to Rodeo Cowboy. Okay, so when I was, uh, when I was born, my dad was an ordained home missionary to the Rodeo Cowboys. And so we would 
all three of us boys would jump into a camper with my mom and dad and we would just travel from rodeo to rodeo. My dad would compete, he did calf roping, and he would compete in the rodeos. And then on Sunday mornings, we would set up and do church services for the contestants and their families. Um, and that would be like on the rodeo grounds. We'd be like in the bleachers of the various fairgrounds that, uh, the, that the rodeos were held at. So that was how I grew up, just kind of, you know, I homeschooled until I was in eighth grade and then Dad kind of got too old to compete in the rodeos anymore, so he became pretty highly involved with the horse race track chaplaincy. So then he was doing church services at horse race tracks, um, two places you don't really generally associate with church, I not, think. Not really, no. Um, rodeo fairgrounds and horse race tracks, but that's that's where we grew up. And uh, and on the horse race tracks, there's an entire community of people. I mean, that just live on the backside of the track. So you've got jockeys, but it's you know trainers and people that are there just hired to walk the horses and feed the horses and it's a whole community that lives on the backside of horse race tracks so they they needed a place to go to church and that's what we did so that's uh pretty much clear path from there to here right yeah i think so <laughs> that's how i became a baseball writer <laughs> so let's see i graduated high school from uh, good old rio vista high school and if there's anybody listening from rio vista and wants to complain about it being called rio vista as somebody who is from Rio Vista, let me just tell you, it's both. In the Texas Almanac, it is officially listed as both. So don't, when next time there's a tornado, please don't call the port television stations that are doing the best they can to tell you when you should go to a shelter. It's Rio Vista and it's Rio Vista. Side tangent over. So then I went to college at Texas Wesleyan for a couple of years, and I was I was a mass comm major. So really, like I, it seemed like I was on the path to here, but I hated it. And the first day of my junior year, I you know hadn't made any other plans. I woke up, was going to go to the first day of classes, and I just woke up and went, I'm not going. <laughs> and I had no plans beyond that. And the second day, I got up and I went. I'm not going today either. And after about a week, I decided like, well, I guess I just dropped out of college. <laughs> so I was doing missions work for a while. There was a, a lot of church in the early years. Um, there was, did some missions work overseas. I traveled to 17 or 18 countries with an organization that was based out of Florida. So I moved to Florida, worked with them for a while. And then I came back, worked at my dad's church for a little while, and then Everything changed when I got offered a job to move to England and mentor high school kids. I was 24, I think. Just just turned 25. Moved to England, and I was there for a couple of years in uh, just west of Birmingham, England. Started doing music more full time. Um, you know, my workload was only 12 hours a week, so had a lot of time to do music, and I recorded my first EP there. Uh, won a contest to open a local show there for an artist named Imogen Heap. She used to be part of a band called Fru Fru that was in the Garden State soundtrack, but then she had a solo career. And if you don't know the name Imogen Heap, you're going to at least know this scene from Orange County, and they parodied it on Saturday Night Live, um, where the girl got shot. Okay. And, yeah. and uh, she, so I'm trying to remember what song it was that, they, that she had on there. Um, uh, Uh, hide and seek. Okay. Hide and seek was on a very pivotal. Uh, I'm getting way sidetracked here with too much detail. It's fine. Anyway, so <laughs> she liked what I did and asked if I could go on tour with her. But the tour started in ten days, 
and I couldn't get six weeks of vacation, so I had to quit my job in England to tour with Imogen Heap here in the U.S. Uh, that was a really great tour, and but I had to move back to the States, so I had a placemat. When I was back in England getting my stuff, I had a placemat with the map of the United States on it. I spun it, closed my eyes, and put a finger down. And my finger landed on Chattanooga, and I went, I'm not moving to freaking Chattanooga. But I've got some friends in Nashville, and that looks like a good central okay. place to, uh, you can tour kind of yeah. a lot of different places. You, you can close yeah. leave a lot of places from Nashville in 15 hours. You can get to New York City, you can get to Minneapolis, you can get to Miami, and you can get to, bring it full circle, Austin in 15 hours from Nashville. So, okay. moved there, um, married my wife, who was from here in the DFW area. We kind of re-met on that Image and Heap tour. And for seven years, I was a touring singer-songwriter. Um, Real quick, I want to pause. Eight years. Didn't you... Wasn't there a uh, soccer team a soccer team in your England oh, that you yeah, yeah. wrote a song for? I remember you telling me this story. Once. Yeah, I, so I wrote a song. Or... Mm-hmm. I wrote a song, and my um, I was pitching it for like a Sun Chips ad here in the States, and I didn't get it. <laughs> It would have paid really well too. It's amazing. Like that's the you can't make money doing music <laughs> unless you get a placement in a commercial. Anyway, they opted with some other song, and so I sent it to my friend Gary Nock, who's a singer-songwriter in England, and he's got this just beautiful like my voice. You can tell right now it's not a beautiful voice. It was an authentic and sincere and sometimes very like sorrow-laden voice, but it's not a beautiful voice. My friend Gary has a beautiful voice, and he re-recorded the song, and we got it placed in a Mars chocolate ad in the UK. So for a year, during soccer games, this song would come on, and it would be this Mars chocolate ad, and that was really great. And then that contract expired, and Gary goes, hey, I'm a big Aston Villa supporter, I have a plan. I want to re-record this song with different words, is that okay? Like, that's dumb. Yes, you can do whatever you want. So... so he did, and he met the PR guy from Aston Villa, showed him the song, the PR guy loved it, and so there was for a time, and it may still be the case, I don't know, I haven't asked in a while, but there was for a time that every time Aston Villa won a soccer match or a football match, this song that I wrote, it was still the same instrumentation that I recorded in my little like side bedroom, uh, at Gary's voice with these new words, would play over the, the, the stadium. And I got to go over there a few years ago and watch, watch a game with Gary. Sure enough, like I was hoping they would win because I wasn't going to have another chance to hear it. Aston Villa pulled it off, and here comes our song, and it's just playing. People are singing along, and it's fantastic. So <laughs> that's just really, really surreal. So yeah, did, uh, we lived in Nashville for seven years, had a son, and then at, right around the time my daughter was born, I'm like, you know what? I, I've been touring too much. I'm playing 100 shows a year sometimes, sometimes 150 shows a year. I'm gone and I'm missing too many important moments. And so I told my wife, uh, Heather, I said, I, I want to buy an RV. I want us to move into the RV. I want to travel all of us together. I think we can do it. And it was the, I don't know, the timing was just right. Like I talked her into it and she said yes. So we bought an RV, which we still own. We still owe a lot of money on it. If you're in, hey, if anybody's in the market for a 2008 Winnebago view, get in touch. <laughs> so we. We toured the U.S. and we I played 200 shows that year, um, and it was hard. There was no middle ground. It was either the worst decision we had ever made or the best decision we had ever made. And we saw, I mean, we had 45, 46 states, most of them twice as we cloverleafed around the, the U.S. And we were going to end up in Seattle, 
we decided, like I, I made a list of 10, you know, where are 10 places that you would move? I mean, we've seen them all at this point, right? You, you come up with a list late at night, we're driving from somewhere to somewhere else. You make a list of 10 places you think you'd be okay moving. 10 places that are on your no list. Like, I I will veto if we if you want to move here. 10, 10 vetoes, 10... 10 vetoes, 10 I'm okay, okay with. And so, ironically, like, number five on my veto list was Dallas-Fort Worth. Okay. <laughs> because, because, and so I feel like I've given enough backstory and context here that, like, because I grew up in rural Texas and that just it wasn't a fit for me and my dad still pastors a cowboy church my brother now pastors a cowboy church in Oregon um, I you know I'm, I'm not so much of a you know city elite that I look down on it on rural people I mean those are my people right mm-hmm. but for the things that I wanted to do in the places that I wanted to see I always had too much wonderlust to be there and I always felt like I was drowning a little bit when I was away from I didn't like, I could see things that I wanted to do, and there just felt like there wasn't a bridge from where I was to where I wanted to be. And so that, for me, emotionally, was like Dallas, Fort Worth, the, the Metroplex represented that suffocation for me. Um, so it was on my no list. And we <laughs> compared lists back and forth. We narrowed it down to either, <laughs> this is all about Austin, yeah. uh, either Austin, because both of our families still live in Texas, would be closer, uh, back to Nashville, mm-hmm. or Seattle. And we finally decided, you know what, let's try Seattle. If we hate it, then we can we can go to Austin as a second backup plan. And then three days before we were supposed to leave for for Seattle, uh, I was getting the rest of our stuff out of storage in Nashville, and Heather calls and says she got a job offer at a startup, and it's a good offer. Like, we didn't really have anything lined up in Seattle. I was just going to keep doing music. It's a good offer, and... She said, I, you know, I told him no because I know we're not moving back to Dallas, but I just want to just tell you about it just because I would, I have to do my due diligence and at least tell him that I told you about it. <laughs> like, well, for somebody who has lived as a, basically a vagabond for the last year, like a regular job and, and like benefits and like some ownership in the startup company. So like, we got to take it. And I swallowed my pride and we moved back to Dallas. And I was to number five on the uh, veto list. Right? Right? <laughs> I mean, at least it wasn't Nebraska, right? So, um, no offense, Nebraska. I just don't like your state outside of Omaha. I couldn't, I could never live in Nebraska. Love Omaha. So, we're in, uh, we're in Dallas, and after every tour, you know, I've, I've talked a bit about this at length from stage, but really not so much since I've been a sports writer, but I had struggled with depression over the course of my life, and it's not... You know, I feel really fortunate. It's not. A, I've never been suicidal as a result. Uh, I've been able to to stay off medication, but it took me like admitting and recognizing it. We can. I can get more in depth on this later if you want. But after every tour, it was especially bad. It was just one of my. Thing. You know, I come home from being on tour, and just because I've been on all the time, and it's a tour is an exhausting life. It's not tour like you think of, like the glamour of a Beyonce tour and tour buses, right? Like. I was driving around in a Honda CRV, <laughs> and uh, you know, you don't, playing... you, don't have, you don't have a driver, <laughs> right? No, it's me, and I'm like, I'm driving, and I'm playing shows in like a lot of living room shows, which are great, and I love, and they're so intimate, and you get to actually meet real people around the U.S. And I loved touring that way, but it's exhausting. Like, you don't just get to check out and go back to your hotel room and yep. you know, put on you, a movie, you have to right? Drive home, 
Correct. Well, yeah. Or you're sleeping on somebody's couch, and so you're staying up late with them because it's their one chance to see you a year, and you're catching up with friends every day. And I mean, worth it. Love it, but so exhausting. And so I come home and I'm just spent, and that's when depression would be like, ha, the weakness here it comes. And it would, you know, two weeks usually was my recovery period after a tour. And I've talked to other artists the same way. They're like, yeah, the day I get home, I get a cold, and and it takes me two weeks to recover. I'm like, cool. My cold was a depression. <laughs> um, so this, so we, we settled in in Dallas, and I assumed that what was happening was the usual order of things. And so I, I planted a garden and decided I'm gonna just like let's let's wait this out. And or Moyle, who is now our managing editor at yes. the Athletic, he was working at WFAA at the time, and he asked like we were friends from Twitter, and we talked about maybe doing some writing for him earlier. And he goes, hey, if you're not doing anything right now. Do you want to do some blogging about the Rangers? And I went, that, yeah, that seems like some way to keep my creative juices going a little bit. Keep writing. Yeah, like I'm yeah. not. I would never write songs in the in those two to three weeks of recovery. Um, but you know, hey, I could write about baseball. That would be fun. And then the two weeks passed, and then a month passed, and I had just kind of like disappeared. I didn't. I wasn't in touch with any friends, and I was certainly not. I'm sure it was not pleasant to live with. But I was still writing about baseball. Because I could sit and watch a baseball game and be kind of like, I don't know, people watch sports for different reasons, right? Mine was because I was in the midst of a bout of depression and I didn't want to reach out to my friends and talk, but I could see these players every day, right? Not to not put words in your mouth, but like the escape, right? Yeah, it is. It's it's weird. It's like an escape and then it is almost like the, the bastardization of connection. Yeah. So when you have real friends, right, you can reach out to them and like, hey man, can we just like hang out tonight but we had just moved to Dallas and we didn't really know anybody and all of my friends from growing up were all Fort Worth or further south so it's not like I could just be like hey man, I'm just gonna pop over to Jake's for an hour and I'll be back like that's a three four hour commitment and so in lieu of you know I prefer to do those in person yes if I'm really struggling like there have been I mean I know that I have friends that I can text or that I can call but it's just not the same as being in person, I feel like I'm burdening people, and I'm not, and they've told me I'm not, but still, you know, it's not a logical thing, you just feel like I'm not going to burden somebody with this, so in lieu of consistency, in lieu of friends, like, I would watch baseball, and I'm seeing these same players every day, and then, it was, it was just some sense of normalcy, so, you know, June, July comes, August comes, and I played at a friend's wedding in Mexico City, in... August, and that was that was August of 2015, and that was the last time I touched my guitar. Uh, I got home and just I had, I had to practice to get you know get my voice back in shape for that for that wedding. But uh, but I hadn't played it since, and I got home and I just there was never really an intentional decision to not play. I didn't go. This sucks. I quit. I wasn't bitter at music. I just. I looked up and like, man, the only time I've touched my guitar since we got here is for this wedding. Mm-hmm. So October comes, season's over, November, December, and I'm like, you know, uh, Katie Clark, who had had the job at WFA before I had it, was moving to Guam, and she suggested like, you should do this job if you're not doing anything else, like, you'd be good at it. And. I, you know, somebody, you hear a thought that you really hadn't considered before, and it's, 
I guess I was just open enough, and I'm kind of coming up out of the worst of everything, and just thought, huh, yeah, I wonder if I could do that, because it doesn't look like music is coming back. And so I talked to Orr, and, and he had some questions, obviously, you know, I'd never done the job before, and it's not like he's assigning me to the to the TCU beat, right? Yeah. <laughs> All of our TCU listeners just turned off the podcast. Um, but it's not like I'm getting to cut my teeth writing about college sports or high school sports or a minor league team. Like, uh, he's throwing me in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. And with, with guys like Evan Grant and T.R. Sullivan and Jeff Wilson and Jerry Fraley and all of these guys that have been doing this for decades and know the business inside out. And he's about to put a musician in there to represent WFAA. And one of the questions he had is like, so the baseball schedule... It's kind of a grind. Uh, do you think you'd be up for that? <laughs> and I just, I, I didn't mean to be rude when I laughed. I'm like, my man, I just lived in an RV playing shows every day for a year. I'll be, yeah, I'm good. I'm not going to have to drive six hours to the games. I'll be all right. And the other one was that the that the industry was in a bit of upheaval. And yeah. that, you know, there's not a bunch of stability in the sports writing industry right now. And again, I'm like, yeah, I just rode that wave. Like, yep. you, I just went through the, the Napster period in through like the launch of Spotify and and all of these things which from a consumer standpoint are great but it, it really took a lot of creativity on the supply end of the of the chain to figure out how to make a living making music. Yeah. For me it was tour around the country selling t shirts and vinyl records, right? Um so I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I mean let's if you're if you think I can do it, I'll try and and so yeah, here we are, man. Day one, I just like I went up to Evan and Tr, both of them, and just went, "Hey, I'm new and I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm going to ask a lot of stupid questions. And if you if I get out of line, tell me. Like, don't don't quietly judge me. Like, <laughs> I am asking you ahead of time. Honesty. Yeah. For honesty. Like, yeah. Please give me your feedback. Please be critical with me. I can handle. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm not a 19 year old kid at this point. I was 36. Um, I can handle that. I know who I... One of the most important lessons I ever learned was who you are and what you do are two different things. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to have enough confidence in like, yes, I'm constantly sorting out who I am and I'm constantly trying to better who I am, but it's not predicated on what I do. And so knowing that, if I do something stupid in my job or I make a big mistake, and somebody snaps at me for that, I can not take that personally. And I can go, wow, that's a great opportunity for me to learn something, um, and I will I will never make that mistake again. And keep a positive attitude about it, and go, what a great lesson I just got to learn. Wow, this, this is a gift, right? Instead of... That's not an easy thing to adopt. No, no, it's not. It took me years. Um, it took me a lot of... Honestly, being on stage and getting that feedback immediately from a crowd, um, there's no safety net, right? And I, and I did a lot of um, the type of music that I did when I played live. I couldn't afford to bring a band with me, so I used a lot of loop pedals. And I used like a violin bow on my guitar, and I had maybe like I had like a theremin app on my phone that I would use, and a couple of different microphones and loop my voice in and stuff. And I'm, I'm basically juggling music yeah. on stage, which means it's not a matter of like if what happens if it goes wrong. It's how are you going to respond when it goes wrong? Because it's going to. You're going to mess something up. The equipment's going to fail, or you're going to fail, or both. And there have been times that I've been in front of a crowd of a thousand people, uh, and the, the equipment just dies. And you're like, well, we're not doing looping tonight, so what are we going to do? 
and you have to learn to be quick. And sometimes I would make a decision. There was one show that I played in England, and it was packed. It was, there was a tiny, tiny little place. It was packed. There was maybe 300 people in the little, like a room that should have fit 100. There's no room for anybody. And all of the equipment goes out, and we've got no amplification. So trying to speak over a room of 300 people in a you know 100 capacity, it's impossible. And so I just went over to the bar and I stood on the bar and I had my cowboy boots on and and I just stomped as loudly as I could on the bar and everybody got really quiet because they thought I was like furious right and I went hey and of course being in England I had the benefit of having like an accent from somewhere else so yeah. people would enjoy listening you know it's new it's novel mm-hmm. and I went hey tonight is going to be a one of a kind show I have never done a show like this before I'm likely to never do a show like this again but for tonight, we are all in this together. You are the one crowd that is going to see this particular show, and it might go really badly. And you can tell all your friends how embarrassing it was, or it might be magic. We're going to find out together. But I've got no microphone. I've got no loop pedals. I've just got me and a guitar, and I'm going to stand on this bar, and I'm going to sing about eight songs for you guys. And then we're all going to have a drink and go home. And I have never had a crowd more on my side than that night. It was pin drop quiet when I was playing. And when I would finish, it was uproarious cheering, and they were like, I was the, the people's champion, right? There have been other times when I tried to pull something similar that the crowd just did not care. Yeah. And learning that, like, learning the taking of risks, and how if this goes well, I'm going to remember it forever because it was a special experience. If this, But when it went badly, I learned, I still got another show tomorrow. <laughs> and... And it's not like this is a career-ruining move because, like, and even if it was, I think bringing it back to the baseball end of things, like having done, you know, missions work and then having done mentoring work and having done music work, I did enough jobs to know, like, the growth in who I am as a person took from each of those jobs. Yeah. But as I left each one behind, I didn't have to transform into becoming a different person I just had to use the tools that I had at my disposal to do the next job and that helped and and part of it was a church that we went to in Nashville and having a pastor that was really cool and not not a typical pastor like I would go for a beer with this pastor and we would just like talk about life and sometimes it would be church stuff and sometimes it wouldn't but that was one of his things like what you do does not define who you are And I just, I had to have it preached at me and to me, and I had to have it shown to me and experience. But then, yeah, like as I went through all of these different jobs, you're right that it's not easy to implement, but once you do, I I preach that. I mean, that's one of those things, one of those lessons that I try to preach to anybody that will listen is who you are, what you do does not define who you are. Be who you are, and that that will dictate how you do the job that you're doing. So put your effort into improving who you are. And then, yeah, work hard at what you do. Be the best at what you do. Like, let, let part of who you are be the type of person that's going to work hard at being the best at what you do. But if you if you let it eat, if you let your profession eat your personality, it's, it's just so unhealthy. And then if you lose a job or then if you make a mistake, it's hard to learn from it because it feels there's a fear, right? The yeah. fear of this is going to cost me my job. This is going to affect my ability to do my job. Well, yeah, if you think about it, if you're taking... If you think about it, and having no, now I didn't travel across the country in an RV, and, and, and 
was kind of all contained within the industry a little bit more, but I know exactly what you mean where it's the fact where you take you take a risk and it's within your job. Um, it's just a risk within your job. It's not a risk within, you're not risking sure. your life, you're not risking anything, anything else. I mean, it's a risk within a job and that can be scary, but it's the type of thing where, um, I mean, I go back to, sidetrack your story but just to go I go back to we were talking about the state of the industry and I uh, witnessed that firsthand where I went from my first full-time job I saw the other I was on a two-person sports staff where I watched the other person get laid off and then I left that paper and started looking for another job because for more stability and the job I went to and I thought this was gonna be the job well I got laid off and right. the paper closed and then instead of a couple opportunities that would have been safer that I could have gone after that I didn't go after I just said um I'm going to try this other route, which included trying to be a hockey writer in Texas, uh-huh. which was <laughs> which was uh, Austin, Texas, not, not even a place where right. there wasn't even an NHL team. And that you was... found your niche there, Yes, though, right? found my niche there, but it was yeah. still a risky thing to be able to, okay, how am I going to... How is, how is this going to pay the bills? How right. is this going to be... Because, I mean, there was even a point where, before I moved to Dallas, I actually had a full-time offer, another full-time offer in sports writing, but it would have been... In, covering recruiting actually okay. covering college recruiting and this was about two weeks I actually accepted that job to be a and to be a University of Texas recruiting writer. Wow. I'd accepted the job. Um, I had decided okay it's been it's been great. I've covered I've covered the AHL and I've really enjoyed it but I'm not making any money on this. I'm making right. all my freelance money on making a little bit here and there but just I'm being able to help pay the bills by doing high school football and doing right. all this stuff, and um, and so I had accepted the job to be a football recruiting writer, and I remember actually it's kind of funny because everything comes back since we're driving to Austin right now. Right. I remember getting a phone call from um, NHL.com from a I remember getting a phone call from someone at NHL.com basically saying, "Hey, we've got an opening for a correspondent position. It's not a full time job; it just pays per game." Um, I know you're in Austin, though, but I was told to give you a call. Yeah. And so I remember, <laughs> I remember thinking about this like I just accepted a full-time job with benefits and everything. Yeah. And now this guy is offering me an opportunity that would require me to move to Dallas. And I remember going through all of that, thinking like, okay, um, am I now going to drive home and ask my wife? It's like, um, you know that job, that full-time job right. and stability we just accepted? Um, Remember the big hug we did just a minute yes, ago? <laughs> yeah. Um, how would you feel if I uh, emailed them back and said I'm not taking that job? So, um, it's, to, it's, I mean, I, it's, it's a risky thing, but it was a career, it was a risky thing career-wise and risky thing job-wise, but um, don't think it changed, it didn't change, if I failed at it, I don't think it wouldn't have changed who I was if it would. Yeah. And that's and that's. I look. There's yeah. the fear. The fear can be. You touched on it a little bit. Yep. The fear can be in the financial aspect yes, of it, right? Very much so. So, so that's all well and good yeah. to say. Like who I am is not affected by what I do, or like that, that there's separate things, and therefore I can take risks and not worry about it affecting who I am. Well, what if that risk cost me my job? Is who I am going to be enough? Like, am I going to be able to get another job? What if it's in a completely different field? What if I really like doing this and I don't want to let go of it? Mm-hmm. What? So, and there, there, you know, economically, I, I think we both have benefited from 
having wives that are also able to yeah. earn an income, right? And I think that, that's that's something that I would be never. I would never have been always been very straightforward and very to give her praise about that yeah. very publicly. As then that it's something where I probably don't. I, I'll be frank. I probably don't have the opportunity to be. Like, hey, let's take this risk and right. not know when the next paycheck's going to come. Oh, I, to... Yeah, I guarantee I could yeah. not have done music for as long as I did without Heather keeping her job uh, in Nashville. But I think, yeah, I think that's so, I think that's the criticism is to go, hey, you know, that's great. Guys talking about like, oh, don't be afraid. Well, yeah. you know, you've had this support system. But, but I, I do think that the argument, maybe not argument, I do think the lesson transcends that even and goes no even that even that even if we end up destitute and we're living in a box car like are the lessons that I'm learning enough to find joy in a life that is financially destitute right and, and, and I don't know I mean, it's it's all theoretical right like I've been poor in my life like I said we grew up going to rodeos Rodeo preacher is not a good way to get rich. Uh, we were we were dirt poor. There were times that we had. I remember a story where my my dad we'd been eating peanut butter and crackers for like four days because that's all we had. We had no money left. We were in Mississippi, and so when Dad would do these church services, sometimes local churches would bring him in and they would have him like sort of tell his story, uh, be like a guest speaker, and then they would take up what was they. A collection? Uh, they would call it a love offering. Okay. Was what it was, you know, and, and people could donate, like help keep him on the road, keep him going to reach these people that go to rodeos. So we had been in Jackson, Mississippi. We've been eating peanut butter and crackers for four days, and Dad had a dollar fifty in his pocket, and it was Saturday night, and he knew like tomorrow we're gonna they're gonna take us to go eat. The church will, and there'll be an offering, and we can afford to get to the next place and buy meals. But for tonight, I've got a dollar fifty in my pocket, and he was at this gas station. And he saw a brown paper bag that said, broken cookies, a dollar a bag. And he was giddy. He's like, we're eating cookies. We are going to eat cookies. So he bought a bag of cookies and he was like, he didn't even open it. He was so happy to be able to bring cookies back to his wife and three kids. And he gets back to the camper. He's like, guys, no more peanut butter and crackers for tonight. It's like, I, I just couldn't. I would hear him tell yeah. the story later. I, I yeah. couldn't have another bite of peanut butter. Just like, I hated the taste of peanut butter. Tonight, we're having cookies, and the kids are like, yeah, and he opens it up, and it's peanut butter cookies. Oh. <laughs> and he was like, and I don't want any of them. You guys can just have all of these cookies. I'm out. It was so crestfallen. But I, I illustrate that story. use that story to illustrate, like, I, I do know what it's like to be poor. And, yes, the perspective is different from the child's standpoint. And now, when, like, I've got two kids, and it's my job to be the provider, like, that... Yes, that is stressful, and I don't want to belittle the struggle of people who are, um, you know, hand to mouth. And and but what I'm, I, I think what I'm, the bigger point of what I'm trying to say is that when you focus on who you are and focus on finding joy in the in the becoming who you are, and you know, for me that, that has been. It has come from faith and then sort of also from the struggle with faith. Like, I really struggle a lot with it still. And, I, I mean, I wrestle with it all the time. And, I don't know. People that I grew up with and went to church with would probably think that I'm 
like <laughs> an apostate at this point. But part of it for me is being able to see the joy in like a drive to Austin yeah. with, with Sean and like, like, yeah, this is cool. I'm in this moment and I'm driving to Austin and, and trying to have that joy. If you're able to find that joy in the everyday, and I know we're getting really like existential and like mystical right now. Yeah, we are. But if you're able to, <laughs> hey, yeah. Hockey! Uh, no, no. But if you're able to find yeah. that joy in, in the everyday, then I, I feel confident in knowing like if I lose this job with The Athletic, that's going to hurt and it's going to sting and we're going to have a lot of figuring out to do. But we'll be okay. We'll figure something out and I'll find a way to be joyful. I'll find a way to continue to be who I am and I'll find a way to learn from that experience. Um, I think that's where I was, I think that's the, the conclusion of what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I don't have anything to add to your story. It's a tremendous story. I love it. Um, but it's, 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 I think the one point that I would just kind of continue to echo and harp is it's, a, there's, you gotta be, you have to be thankful for the opportunity you're given, and we kind of talked about that. I mean, it's something where we both obviously have um, other individuals in our lives who have made, frankly, this, like, frankly, this this opportunity possible. Right. Um, the other thing too is, I think the um, other thing I kind of learned in all of this, and it's something that I wish I probably, something I probably wish I would have done little bit earlier in, in my career as I figured life out or and I, I still don't have life figured out at all that's that's a lie <laughs> but uh, the one thing is that you take risks on things and you also find out that that you tend to come across people that actually are willing to help you out in life oh yeah I think that's oh, I, I, totally. I, I think that's something that kind of gets um, that kind of gets washed over a little bit just uh -huh. where you have, whether it was in work or whether it was in doing something else where you'd have, you'd be, you're taking a risk on something and you find other people, other people think, I mean. When we moved into the yeah. RV, Sean, like, I can't tell you how many friends were as excited or more excited than me about the move into it. Um, we had one one friend that couldn't remember what it was called, the Winnebago. Um, the, do you know the band Sixpence and the Richer? I do not. Okay. They, they had a huge hit in the, in the late 90s called Kiss Me. Uh, anyway, so Lee Nash from Sixpence and the Richer. I, we had a few friends in common and we hung out a few times in Nashville and she was talking to my friend Jesse and she was like, that's just so exciting about the Weavers moving into their... Um, the, uh, you know, the, the dream machine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think people people love it when... People love a good story. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, as writers we know this, but, but to live a good story, I mean, that's... Yeah, it's a lot of risk. And, you know, like I said, there were days when it was the worst decision we'd ever made. There were days when everybody's sick and something broke on the RV and a show got canceled and we're in the middle of nowhere and, like... What are we doing? Why did we do this? <laughs> the kids are crying, and you know, may I have to go in and play a show? And Heather's gonna have to sit out here with two crying kids for four hours so that they're not crying in the middle of a show. Like, I'm sorry I brought you into this. Why? Like, I owe you so much. So that you know, it's called risk because it can fail. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, the old the old risk reward thing. Not to sound like. 
Like, I don't want to sound like Gwyneth Paltrow about this. <laughs> but I'm going to because I'm going to use these two words that are very, very Gwyneth Paltrow probably. But like, intentional gratitude. Mm -hmm. Like, being thankful on purpose. It's easy to be thankful when something surprises you. And like, somebody comes up and just hands you a $100 bill and you're like, whoa, what a surprise. But like, to be intentional and go, all right, I'm going to find something today to be great. I'm going to, like, I'm, we're doing gratitude hide and seek, right? Even on a bad day, I'm going to find something today that I'm thankful for. And that just sounds like a, like such a granola, like everything will be okay. And your struggles aren't really struggles thing to say. Like, no, no, the struggles are really struggles and they hurt and they're hard. And like, I'm going to learn from them and I'm going to hurt from them. I'm going to cry and I'm going to be really frustrated and be super stressed out. And even then, even in the worst of it, even when I feel like everything is completely hopeless, I'm still going to like, there's one thing that my circumstances cannot control right now. And that is my willingness to go find something to be thankful for. Nothing can stop me from doing that. And it kind of becomes a rebellion where you're like, I'm so angry right now that the, the most rebellious thing that I can do, the one way that I can fight back against all of these terrible circumstances, and I'm, right now I'm not talking about the RV, I'm not talking about driving to Austin, like we're in great circumstances right now, but I mean at other times in my life when it's been really hard, you, know, you, you have a, a terrible breakup or you lose a job that you love or... Or you moved to Dallas when you didn't want to move to Dallas, right? And like you're angry on your about veto it. List. And, and, and side note, it's been really good for me to live in Dallas because it gives me a new perspective on Texas and I feel like I've forgiven Texas a little bit in the last few years. Um, I just need to get all the, the people that hung up halfway through the podcast aren't going to know this, but yeah. I, I really actually like living in Dallas now. <laughs> but in those moments where you like, where everything hurts, it's not a matter of pretending that everything is fine and putting on a happy face and being Pollyanna about it. It's like acknowledging, yeah, this sucks. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I'm in the worst part of depression right now. I am I'm $5,000 in debt and I'm going to lose my, like, the biggest act of rebellion is to go, and I'm going to find something to be thankful for because you can't, you can't beat me. You can't, all of this is not going to defeat me. Um, so yeah, maybe like intentional gratitude is one way of putting it, or like in the worst of times, like rebellious gratitude, where you, you and I can't tell you how big a difference it makes. And there are times I forget and I notice myself just like grumping around the house and I'm furious at whatever circumstance is going on and just have to be reminded like the only, like you're letting your circumstances control you right now. Find something to be thankful for. Acknowledge that thing that you were thankful for and be in that moment. And it, what it does, it helps remind you that there are things worth fighting for, right? Like if it just feels like you're struggling to overcome this next bill or this next debt or this next conflict that you're having at work or this, like, if there's no payoff for that, like, why am I doing this? Why? Who cares? Like, I'm just going to give up and let this wash over me. When you find things to be thankful for and to be grateful for, it reminds you that there are things, like, that's why I'm fighting is because there is good in this world and because I want to be good in this world and I want to be somebody else's moment of gratitude today. So I'm going to keep fighting and I'm going to keep waking up every day. I'm going to keep going to work. I'm going to keep doing these things because in the course of that struggle, in the course of those things, I'm going to find my thing I'm, I'm grateful for today. I don't really have anything to add to that. That's uh, I got kind of worked up there. Yeah, I, I I'm sorry. I yeah. started preaching a little no, bit. No, no, but that's, 
that's, that's really, I don't really have anything to add. I feel like if I add anything, that would just take away from the overall moment of it. I mean, but it's really good stuff. And it's, the other, the other thing that makes it, you, I've a couple things about just in the everyday, the, the gratitude for something every day and everything like that. And the one thing that I think it can rub off, you may or may not know, this is something I didn't realize um, until, it's something I didn't realize until a situation, another situation in my life where you don't realize how much you rub off, on, you may rub off on other people, yeah. um, whether you intend to or not. Uh-huh. Um, and that's something that's, that's something I didn't realize really into my life until, then my life about three or four years ago, um, where you, what type of impact it can have just by being positive about, I don't know, something silly. Like it's, right. um, I don't really have a good... No, I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. For me, for me, it's not that I view myself too highly and I think I can act however I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, screw them. It's, it's more that I don't realize my own presence in a room and I assume nobody's watching and I assume that I'm not important. And so like, if nobody's watching me, I can be, I can do whatever I want and it's not going to affect anybody else. And it's a weird, it's almost like a, a mirror image of humility to go, it's not because I'm so important, but it's because everybody's so important and I'm one of everybody. Mm-hmm. And the actions that I do absolutely have an impact on the room. Like, if I can find a way to have some sort of, and I'm, I'm not good at this, Sean. Really, really, <laughs> like I'm so bad at this. Um, but I, I can tell you somebody who's really good at it is Tom Grief. Mm-hmm. When he walks into a room, he remembers people. Hey, you know, he, he remembered my name. Actually, that's not true. He told me, he called me Dot Guy for a little while, I think, because I did that. The Dot Guy. <laughs> okay, to be fair, to be fair, you you teed yourself up for that. I did that. I did that. <laughs> but. But even then, like even when he didn't know who I was, it was still, yeah. hey, how's it going? And he would greet people, and it, for me to do that, it feels like the audacity. Like, are, do you think that they're going to remember who you are? They're going to think some strange weirdo is just saying hi to them. But when you don't do it, then it becomes even more of a, like a snotty ego thing because you assume, like, oh, they don't remember me. But when they do, and you, like, meet eyes and don't acknowledge them or say hi, well, then you're the snob, right? So trying to live more like Tom Green, where I walk in a room like, hey man, how's it going? And try to remember like one detail about everybody. Like if you can remember one thing to talk about, and then maybe after you burn that one, you're gonna have to learn something else because yeah. you can't every time talk about their dog, right? But, yeah. Um, but you're right. Like you have an impact on people, even if you are just. Like Miss Wanda, who does the the food at the Rangers. Um, press box. Yeah. She knows something about everybody. She remembers everybody's names. And you know what? She's just she's just the girl that serves the food, right? Like she yeah. doesn't play the games. She's not broadcasting anything. Not a whole lot of people outside of the press box know her, but she is so special and sets the tone for that for that dinner room. It is a positive experience to be in that dinner room because you know, oh, you know what? I'm going to get a smile and a wave from Miss Wanda and she's going to ask how things are going. <laughs> it's yeah, it's something that I you know, it's kind of my next big thing to work on is acknowledging my own presence in a room and acknowledging that that is not an egotistical thing to do. Yeah, one thing that I, um, person that I thought about right away when you brought up is, uh, sadly passed away this past October was uh, Dave Strader, who was the 
was the Stars broadcaster for... He was only the Stars broadcaster... Oh, first car cast incident. Someone's getting pulled over in front of us here. Um, nice. The uh, Dave Strainer was only the Stars broadcaster for full-time for a year, and then he had cancer, and then he, then he started... Then he started his battle with cancer and only did about seven or eight games that year. Um, um, even though he was only the Stars broadcaster for a... 95 games, roughly, in between, uh-huh. um, officially, but it, but everyone with, I always was amazed, at first, I was always amazed at how much Dave was, had entrenched himself in the Stars community uh-huh. right away, and just been, been one of those, became such this, this figure um, right away, even though the prior broadcasting duo had been together for 20 years, you would have thought right. it would be like, oh, how do you have, how, right. do you have so, how, how can somebody be here for 90 games and have mean that much? And then you start to think about, well, how much he carried himself in life, not only just in the broadcast, but there was, um, remember, uh, there's a, uh, I think he's a, I'm going to forget where he goes to school, but there's a college, there's a, uh, he works for a website called, he does some managing editing for a website called Blackout Dallas that covers the stars. His name's Josh Clark. And Josh goes to, sorry, Josh, if you're listening, I forget what the name, where you go to school in Mississippi, but Josh goes to school in Mississippi. And... I remember uh, Josh telling me a story once about Dave where he introduced himself to Dave. This is a college kid. Dave doesn't have to know who he is. The next time he was there, three months later, Dave asked him, oh, how, how Dave remembered what yeah. they had talked about before and asked what he had, had done before and things like that. Um, yep. And it was... Uh, that was something that was I mean that was something Dave did not just in hockey did in everyday life like I remember his uh, um, that's the one, one thing that so many I remember talking to his son Trevor after after he passed which was um, obviously an incredibly difficult time for the family but yeah. um, Trevor was telling me about how they would get they would be getting all these phone calls from people who all of them would be talking about would call him and talk about be telling Trevor how much how much their dad lit up, how much his dad lit up the room, and how much he was not only wasn't a hockey guy, he was someone who was interested in and was extremely proud of talking about Trevor and the family yeah. and everything like that. Um, so it's you have, I mean, you have you have an impact on people. I mean, we're not trying to. I, be, I we are no way trying to be preachy at all. We're just right, <laughs> right. I've lost count. I've lost count of the number of stories that I've heard, almost identical to that, but about Richard Durrett who was the Rangers beat writer for ESPN.com, passed away in 2014. And just Rangers bloggers or like minor league writers or people just trying to get their break, college kids trying to get their break into the industry. And Richard would meet them once and then the next time would remember their names, remember things about them. And I'm like, everybody that he came into contact with and of course, obviously, when somebody passes away, they're not going to bring up the time that Richard like had a bad day. <laughs> yeah. But by and large, everything that I've ever heard said about Richard was the same. Like he just engaged with people and tried to tried to show them that they were important on that day. And you know, I think it's it's people remember it more. Well, one when somebody has a little bit of notoriety behind them, like Richard's yeah. the Texas Rangers beat writer for one hundred three three. So. When, when I'm a blogger and I meet this guy who is the next step up, that's memorable for me. And so if he's nice to me, like that's cool, like that guy was nice. You 
don't expect that sort of coming back the other way. Mm-hmm. But now as somebody who's like, I'm the beat writer for The Athletic, it, when I talk to a, somebody who's a blogger, like, I'm still surprised when they go, oh yeah, I read your stuff. Yeah. Like, wow. Like, so this person is still having that impact on my life that Richard had on a blogger's life at some point. Like, that's yeah. so cool that you know who I am and, and read my stuff. And like, I've made friends that, uh, that I'll keep in touch with because of sports writing. And it's not about a status thing anymore. It just becomes about people, like equals, right? You become yeah. friends with people. Um, so yeah, like I want to be that kind of person from the status that I'm in, but I also want to be that kind of person to people who are in a status above me or equal to me or like where it becomes not about the status at all. Yeah. That again, circling back to the original comment of like what you do is not who you are. Yeah. Like be who I am with people instead of being intimidated, either being intimidated or being like feeling special because of the status or lack thereof. Yeah, and it's like it's the authenticity of yeah. it, right? Yeah, I mean, one thing that uh, you mentioned status, and I think I am, we are, we're sports. I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things, we write about sports, we write about games that really don't mean anything at right. the end of the day. Uh, it's entertainment, right? Um, and it's a cool job. It's, you know, it's, it's a great job. I mean, I, I think I, I believe I have the greatest job in the world. But it's um, the one thing that I always you kind of mentioned, which is funny. I I feel like I run into that quite a bit. I still have that in my head where people stop. Like, oh, I, I like reading your stuff, or I've read this, and I still and it's still kind of a moment that catches me. Of like, wait, you? Yeah. Like, oh, that's or 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 and. I'll be, uh, I think, uh, I hope, I hope, I hope I come off as welcoming and presenting when, so with the slightly different, the one thing I have the ability to just with, uh, just with hockey that I know you don't have with baseball, because obviously baseball, you're, everything's kind of confided, um, not confided, everything's kind of enclosed within, it's hard to get where you are without a credential when when you're working at a game. But just with the stars and them being in Frisco and it's being every practice is open to the public and everything like that, I always enjoy the interactions when people come up and say hello. Like, yeah. I don't... And um, personally, I like to... Uh, I like. I, I hope that I am welcoming and, and, and inviting for people to come say hello to and everything like that. And if I ever am not, or just if I'm not and you ever felt like I, I wasn't, please uh, come... Please, please do say hello. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but it's uh I'm so bad at names and like that's one thing I really yeah. really want to be better at and there have been, there have been people that that I have known for years and I'll go to introduce them to somebody and my mind will just blank and they're like and this is my friend <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because I don't value them yeah. it's like I do and it's so embarrassing I'm like I'm sorry this is like it feels like a handicap sometimes yeah. that I just am so bad at remembering people's names so, all that to say, if anybody's listening and you come up and introduce yourself to me for a second time, I probably, I, I, if we've had a conversation, I remember your face, <laughs> but there's a good chance you might have to just tell me your name right offhand, because I am not, like, I wish I had Richard Durrett's ability to remember people's names. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, that, that is a talent, though, to be able to, 
to store that many people's names and everything like and that is something where I'm not there are sometimes I'm bad at it there's sometimes that I uh, the worst is when you like you, you have it you have it and you just talk to somebody and you know they're think of their name but you can't right and you're having a real conversation with them and so you feel like if you stop and ask halfway through it's too like, late then it's too late no. it's too late All you, at that point you hope somebody else walks up yes and <laughs> and then they have to introduce each other and then you can like ah oh, that's right <laughs> got it god forbid they know them already and they just say hello and yeah then you're stuck oh i had a i had a bad one recently going back to the, the press box uh, like food area you go you pay for your meal and yeah. then you go talk so the lady that runs the, the till her name is Rosie I know her name is Rosie Rosa Rosie Rosa yeah. see here I am forgetting it again right <laughs> Rosa I and I'm like she says you know hi Levi how's it going and I blank and I'm like I am sure that it's I, I'm sure I know your name but I'm just like I sort of peek at the name tag just to make sure like I just yeah. want to make sure I get this right and she caught me and she's like it's Rosa I'm like I, I knew I knew it I was just cheating <laughs> you know I talk to this lady every day and like uh, I just I gotta get better at this I gotta get better at names it's like we uh, recently happened with the friend situation where we made we uh, my wife's uh, my wife's friend and we met to, we started we met we she met her friend and then um, we hung out with them for the first time as a couple. We hung out with them hung out with them a couple times since where I met her husband and, and yeah. everything like that. And for the first couple times I would be this, this guy I'm having great conversation with, we're talking and everything like that. And each halfway through I'm like, um, I forgot his name. <laughs> and and I'm just waiting, hope, hopefully thinking like, okay, maybe someone else will mention him. And right. <laughs> oh, oh, it's the worst. Like, like touring, I got pretty good at it because you see people like once a year and it's not like those are the only people and you're going to this one city only once a year. Like I'm hitting 150 cities yeah. or whatever. So uh, at some point, this is the thing that happens is after about a hundred shows, everybody looks kind of familiar even if you've never seen them before you've seen enough faces you've kind of seen some iteration of each of these features and everybody looks just a little bit familiar even if you've never seen them before and that is hard to get around because if it's somebody you've met before and you've had a conversation but it was three years ago yeah. right they're gonna look familiar but you don't want to be like hi I'm Levi what's your name nice to meet you and have them go uh we talked for like a half an hour last time you were in town don't you remember me but it's also weird on the other side of it because if you haven't met them before and they just look familiar because you've been on the road for so long and you go oh hey man how's it going good to see you again and they go we've never spoken <laughs> i've never i you know yeah so you that's just such a tightrope to walk where you're like hey how's it going you know, I played the show. I know they're, they're coming to the merch table to talk to me or buy merch. So I, it's not like a stranger in a, in a restaurant. I at least have that level of confidence. Like, okay, they're coming to talk to me. Hey, how's it going? And then you yeah. just kind of rely on them to give you context clues of like, good to see you again. Or, yeah. hi, my name is Joe. Then, then you kind of go, oh, okay, this is a new person. Or, yeah. oh, okay, I've seen this, this person before. But, yeah, that I kind of got okay at it then. 
but it's the worst when you get caught where you're just like, ah, she caught me looking at her name tag. I'm sorry. I'm just bad at this. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I've read it a couple times myself where you just have the, where you get caught or you get caught with, the worst is when somebody else you know walks up and then they expect you to do the introduction. Uh-huh. Nope, not right yep. now. Can't do it. Yep. Can't do it. I had a... The, so the ticket had a baseball game against Jack White and the worst ticket guys mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. Yep. And I had met Jack before years and years ago when I was working on a record. He did some work with one of the guys that owned the studio and so I was... Was that and, your play-by-play debut? Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, I did some play-by-play like when I was in college. Okay, yeah, yeah. But not like, not for anything as important as this. So, like Weatherford High School, I think I did yeah. like basketball games for. Um, so I, 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 had, I had met Jack before, but more importantly to this story, there was a guy that had helped record uh, some of the some of the record that I was working on at the time. He worked in that studio. His name was Josh. And I hung out with Josh. Came to me. We went to the same church that I went to. We, you know, we worked on a record together. And I knew that he did some work at Third Man. and worked for Jack, but I didn't expect to see him there that day. Like I, I just, you know, I kind of yeah. lost track track of Josh yeah. when we left Nashville. So I'm, I'm getting set up, and I walk in, and I see Josh. I'm like, "Holy crap, dude! Hey, how are you doing?" And I shake his hand, and he doesn't really recognize me because I've got glasses now. Like I've aged, I don't know, four or five years. And I'm like, Levi Weaver, he's like, oh, dude, yeah, good to see you again. And he's setting up gear, and he's kind of like last-minute panic. Yeah. I'm like, catch me later. Like, I'll be around. Great. So I immediately go, and I, like, text Mitch, the guy that owned the studio. I'm like, Mitch, I'm sorry I haven't talked to you in, like, a year and a half, but what was the guy's name, the beard? He works for Jack. I can't remember his name. He works for the record. He's like, it's Josh. So I had to, I had to admit to Josh later, like, he... He's like, dude, let's take a picture and send it to Mitch. I'm like, okay, but just in case, in case Mitch rats me out later and tells you, like, cover your bases there, huh? Like, I couldn't remember your name, and I'm so sorry. I had to text Mitch earlier. Yeah, just sometimes you just gotta like pull the ripcord and admit, like, all right, I messed up. Yeah. We've been talking about forgetting names for like 45 minutes. Is there anybody still listening to this? Shoot I, us a. I, I, Shoot us a comment yeah. or a tweet if you got to the one hour and two minute portion of the yeah. Uh, I'd be impressed of the podcast. I'd be rather impressed. I'm always impressed. I, 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 I'm always amazed. Not impressed because that sound would sound egotistical. But I'm always amazed whenever I do a podcast or a project. I was always so the car cast. The concept of it was really silly. Where so Owen Newkirk, who was the play by play, not play by play. He was the play by play broadcaster for the Texas Stars down uh-huh. in Boston. Um, um, and him and I know I know Owen well from his time in the AHL, and but so Owen and I uh, we carpool to the rinks to, to the to the Stars home games. Um, we'll rotate. I'll drive. I'll drive one. I'll drive one game. He'll drive the next game. We'll rotate. Um, and so we were always we always talked about the game on the way home anyway. Yeah. And so I remember driving home. I was like, yeah, you know what? Here I have the recorder. Why not just turn it on? Why not? And. I thought no one would listen at all. I still thought. I still yeah. think no one will listen. It amazes me that anyone actually listens to anything I have to say, which I think is silly, and I fooled the world. <laughs> but yes. It's, Good old imposter syndrome. I know. It's, Every day for me still. So it's... But it's... I don't know. It's... 
I think for me it's because I'm not a big podcast guy. Yeah. So, like, I'll listen to Radio Lab sometimes. I really like the liturgists. Um, that's about it. Mm-hmm. I think I've got two. I don't listen to any sports podcasts. Not because I think that the people are dumb and don't have anything worthy of listening to. There are a lot of really good podcasts that I've listened to an episode of here and there. I've appeared on people's podcasts before, but, like, when I leave the ballpark, so often for me, it's been such a long day, and yeah. baseball is so every day. Baseball, like, is a, baseball is a long day. That it I is. just, I gotta listen to music or yep. NPR or something that is not about sports. I need to just like wash the day off of me. Mm-hmm. And so I don't like everybody, I, I get people ask, like, so what's your favorite sports podcast? And I'm like, uh, the car cast. <laughs> it's a good one. Do you listen to it? No, but it's not because I don't like Sean. Yeah. I just don't want to talk about yeah. sports. Yeah, it's, uh,. <laughs> The, that, that's something that I give my she always downplays it but the one thing that I give my uh, wife a ton of credit for and she always thinks I'm joking and, and then I always tell her no I'm actually being serious about this is uh, I give my wife a lot of credit for making me more well rounded as a person in general because I was a I grew up was, wanted to be a sports writer studied went to school for, for covered sports and yeah. everything like that and I have some other things in my life, some other things in my life that were, it wasn't well-rounded. It was like kind of, everything was on the one edge. It was like it was a scale. Uh-huh. Everything's, everything's all on one side and there's maybe a little bit here. But I always give her credit for helping me become more rounded in life and actually like, for like, it's this is going to sound weird, but for the longest time, it's not that I didn't like music. Right. I'm not trying to offend a artist, but but not that I didn't like music. I just really didn't listen to much music. It was one of those things. Whenever I was in the car as a kid, my dad listened to sports talk radio, and it would be. And so I didn't really like. Now there's some music that I really like now, but for the longest time, it'd be like, oh, what type of music do you like? And I'd be like, ah. And not that I didn't have. Yeah. Not that I, I just didn't have an answer because I didn't really. It's not that I didn't like music, but I didn't like it either. It was just a really weird thing because it would be like, like, oh, well, what type of music do you like? Like, I, uh, uh, what's the, yeah. Will, Willard Nelson. Yeah, like, and so that's something as silly as I give my wife credit for something like that because, like, for a long time, and she and she called me out on it. This is funny because, and this is something that I laugh at myself now because as someone who's a writer in another realm, that it took. Like a long time, I would be music would play and they'd be like, "Oh, do you like this song?" And I wasn't really paying attention to it, and I just like would like the background, and uh-huh. I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I like." She's like, "Oh well," she's like, "Oh well, what do you like about?" It? And then she'd be like, "You didn't listen to the words, did you?" Yes. <laughs> and, she would, and and then after a while, I thought like, "I, I didn't." And, yeah. and then that's that's all since changed. But it's kind of funny to think about think about that in hindsight now, where it's that gives me. Yeah. It makes me a more interesting human being, right? <laughs> because I'm not just a person who can only talk about one thing or can only focus on one thing. Um, but it's I'm also glad that it let me opened up. There's other things in life that are interesting that I did not, yeah, like, kind of ignored. <laughs> yeah, once you like for me, music is very much that way too. Like um, that, the lyrics are have always been really central to why I enjoy a song, and so. Um, yeah, once you start to, I say the same way, it's yeah. not the same way really at yeah. all, but, but it is the, the, that it's, that the lyrics are, are, 
as a writer, when you start to view lyrics as literature, almost, mm -hmm. yeah, and like the wordplay is so clever, and so I can now listen to like a there's a rapper, Astronautilus. Actually, there are two rappers that I really enjoy. Astronautilus is one, um, and there's another. It's a girl from from London. Her name is Kate Tempest, and listen to the way that they put together the words like the, the music's cool and it's it's got a good beat and like it's you know you can it's good background music but but for me like it gets to the point where it can't be background music because the words are put together so cleverly that I can't it's like I'm reading a book and if something else is happening I have to like put the book down like okay I'm sorry what like it's, it's that level of just great writing where you're like oh my gosh how does your brain work how did you think to put those words in that order and not even just like prose like I just finished reading yeah. um, The Grapes of Wrath and it, I didn't read it when I was in high school it's one of the best books I've ever read it's a tremendous book but in songwriting like taking that level of wordplay and then making it rhyme and then making it fit into three to five minutes like I am amazed at people that that can do that and I think the reason that I am, have been more into rap lately is because at some point like I I was doing the singer-songwriter thing yeah and so like the sad song like I can man I can write a really sad song like I can do yeah. that um, the rock anthems a lot of them the lyrics are not that clever it's like eh, it's catchy the, you know the, two, yeah. the tunes go the you know, pop, it's a pop song it's not that great but rap Man, there's so many rappers that I think are, you know, talked about Astronautilus and King Tempest, but there are so many rappers that can put the imagery and the, the rhyming and the wordplay together just so cleverly in such great, um, great rhythm. I, I'm, I mean, I'm blown away by that. My brain just doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's not to, and I'm not, it's not the same level because it's still something that I'm still I'll admit I'm rather novice I feel like I'm a novice when I listen to music still but one thing that I noticed it's funny because I would listen to um, when I would write a paper in college uh -huh. or whatever I would throw shuffle on the iPod on the iPad on right. the iPod and it didn't matter what it was whatever was in the background I would just it would just become background right. it would become background and uh, and I would just write now I notice it's in the last three, four years, um, so I have a I have a record player in my office, and so if I end up putting an album on that's got the lyrics are good, and uh -huh. it's, and I'll end up getting sidetracked. Yes. But if I end up, so I tend to, it's funny. My recent search, I've gone to record stores. I bought like just instrumental jazz and yeah. like, and just yeah, like let's yeah, 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 just like classical or just like classical music that has no words. Because yep. I'll just, I'll just, had no lyrics. Because I'll just put that on, and then I can still be in the background, yep. and I don't spend my time all of a sudden like drifting and listening, and then getting away from the from writing. The <laughs> band that I have started listening to, like my work record, is uh, Royksa. Okay. It's R and then O with the umlaut over it. Y K S O P P, and the record is called The Inevitable End. Okay. And it's just like this. It's kind of almost like dance music. But it's not like terrible Euro disco like yeah. s s dance music. It's like really well written, kind of. It's not the chilled out ambient like. Da -da 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 -da. It, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it. Yeah. It's got kind of like dance instrumentation, but in a more um, 
So a band like The National or, um, I don't know, Gang of Youths is like my new favorite record. Those kind of like dark rock bands. Yeah. But with instrumentation of a dance, uh, you know, the synths and everything. And then they got uh, Robin, who is like a pop singer, to sing over it. And the lyrics are not that great. I mean, they're not that deep. But it's really pretty, and it just sort of sets this... That's really great work music, so that's my recommendation for... Um, the complete opposite of work, work recommendation that probably no one's going to take. I, the other day, so I had found... I've been listening to... bought a record for... Uh, it's The King and I, seriously, but no... But no uh, it's just the orchestra. Just the score, yeah. It's yeah. just the score. And I've flipped that over three or four times the other yep. day while while working, just listening to that, and that uh -huh. was just great in the background. <laughs> the scores are great. Um, I, I was listening recently to, we started watching Broadchurch. Okay. And so Olaf, uh, I'm going to actually look it up because I want to get it right. I believe I can do that since he's not driving. <laughs> right, I am not driving and doing this at the same time. Uh, oh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this at all. Olafur, O-L-A-F-U-R. Arnold's, so like Arnold, but A-R-N-A-L-D-S, Olafur Arnold's, and I assume he's obviously European. Yeah. Um, Swedish? Probably. You would do better at this, actually, than I would, because more hockey players, you probably get a better idea of what name is from what uh, what country. But yeah, so, again, like ambient soundtrack stuff, it's, that's good work music as well. Yeah, you don't get many. Uh, you don't get many Europeans on the uh, baseball coverage, do you? Uh, uh no, no. They uh, are playing soccer or cricket or rugby. I always. Uh, I need to. We may need to. Uh, if, if there's any way to find a crossover, I've always. I've kind of had this like list. So I have a list. I have a big yellow legal pad on my desk at home of like story ideas that I really want to do that I can't do right now just okay. because of timing or what the season is and stuff like that. Right. So one thing I really like want to do is like a crossover just because I know of, I've thought about like doing the athletic is the, uh, so there's the Finnish version of baseball. Uh-huh. Yeah, you showed me yeah, this. Yeah, it's called Pesapala, which I think is the right way you pronounce it. Um, maybe the incorrect way. Um, where basically it's kind of like a high lob, and but instead of being a diamond, you're running like different diagonals and I'm drawing yeah. in the air on a podcast sure. and no one can see that but I've always thought that would be interesting to do an interesting story to do with I guess uh, I guess the crossover would have to be in September or whatever before the end of the season where if I could if we could write a story about something along the lines of where I could talk to Finns about it exactly who are Finns who are playing for the stars and if you I could get your the impression of it from I don't know if you showed the clip you've got a pretty good relationship with players to show a clip of what is this or yeah yeah like, I always thought that would be fascinating kind of crossover story to work on. Um, yeah, that could be fun. Yeah. Maybe you could get, like, if there are hockey players that have played it. Yeah. As a kid. Yeah, I don't think the teams would probably let them, like, set up a game at the ballpark to actually play, just for the risk of injury. But maybe yeah. you could get, like, sit down with a baseball player and a, and a hockey player and get them to just, like, talk about it and explain the game back and forth. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it could be fun. It's uh, it's interesting to me the there is a lot of I do find a lot of the baseball hockey crossover interesting just from the standpoint of it's the it's kind of the well the, it's not the second sport of Canada but it, a lot of hockey players are big baseball fans basically a because 
well, the Blue Jays become a Toronto Blue Jays. Obviously, are they're not just a Toronto team; they're a national team, right. basically. Um, and the other interesting thing is just to look at guys who, like for example, stars captain Jamie Ben. Jamie Ben is a player who um, I think I believe it was who was I can't remember who, but somebody he was basically I can't remember who the player who was the first, but basically he was referred to as the second best left-handed hitter from Victoria, British Columbia. Okay. And if he had wanted to go into baseball, he could have he could have gone into the baseball looked looked into the baseball. Yeah. I'll have to look. I have to look it up. Cause I'm drawing a blank on who was the best left-handed hitter from Victoria. But um, yeah, I'm trying to remember who. Is, I don't know. Um, yeah. Big truck coming big into truck, our lane. Big, big truck coming into our lane. Um, and it's the crossover stuff is always interesting to me because I think there's it's all sports and that's the other thing that I always find fascinating too. And this is kind of I guess a commentary on social media now, which is a dangerous place to go. Yeah. But I always kind of, I'm a big hockey fan, obviously. I also enjoy, I watch a lot of baseball, and I, there's, watch soccer, too, and everything like that, and, but I always find it fascinating when there's the, this time of year where we run into the sports colliding of, oh, this sport has to be better than that sport. And this is something that is always, this is a commentary, I guess, on social media, and once again, dangerous to go into, but I, I always kind of laugh at it. It's like, oh, well, like, I actually hate when, I really dislike when people will be like, um, well, uh, like, basketball player will cramp up and get carried off the court. Uh, and then you see someone jump to Twitter and post like, oh. Hockey player would never yeah, do that. Hockey player would have never done that. I mean, I think LeBron James is the closest thing to a must-watch athlete. Oh, absolutely. Like, right now, and, and in of any sport, I think he's mm. arguably the best, maybe probably the best athlete on the planet if you go off excellence in their field and things like that. And so... I don't even know where I'm going with this point. It's just, it's it's a, it's a commentary on. I enjoy. You, you can enjoy okay different elements enjoy of everything. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I'm guilty of that. Maybe I did for a while when I was younger. Like, yeah, I mean, there's just you don't you don't have to go take a dump on somebody else's sport to to prove that your sport is good and valuable. Like. It's okay for both of them to exist and be good and valuable. Unless it's football. <laughs> uh, lots of football coverage at The Athletic, by the way. If you've made it this far, and lots yeah. of good football coverage. They, yeah, they it did, exists. It's good. They did a really good job with the draft coverage. They did. I'm just joking about football. Yes. I just... Honestly, the the longer I do this job, the less bandwidth I have to watch other sports. And I've really tried to get into hockey. I had this conversation with my dad the other day. Like, I haven't watched the Mavericks much in the last season or two. I, I think I've watched one Cowboys game last season because I just don't like. I'm doing sports so much every day, and because I want to maintain some well-roundedness. Like I said earlier, like I leave the ballpark and sports do not cross my mind. I don't listen to sports talk radio. I don't like. I'll read some baseball stuff when I wake up in the morning and kind of catch up on what's going on. And I've been having, uh, not having to, I volunteer to to do these like weekly rankings. That's a, I like that. The piece. athletic. I really like that. Piece. It's fun to do. And every week I ups like my whatever I write about one team. This week I've upset the Giants fans. Like they are so angry. If you're ranking teams, you're gonna upset. Somebody's gonna get upset. Right. Of course. But apparently, it's just because I dismissively said that like, like they swept the Braves, and I was breathless about the Braves' young prospects, and then the Giants, all I said was, like, this is probably where Matt Harvey's going to end up. 
because Johnny Cueto and Madison Bumgarner are on the disabled list, and they're like, mm-hmm. what? We swept the Braves, and now that's all you have to say? That's all you can offer the Giants? Just typical. So typical. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Like, I'm doing the best I can. Like, I read up and learned about the Braves this week because it was part of my job. Um, but just the more, and I, and I love it. I love, you know what? You're right, Giants fans. Good point. I need to read up a little more on the Giants this week. I will do you better this week. But I just can't. I just don't have the bandwidth. And I've got two kids, too. So, you know, I want to be present there. And I can't keep up with basketball. And I can't keep up with football. And, like, I want to keep up with hockey because I feel like so many hockey fans... Like, I feel like the average hockey fan is kind of, like, more intelligent than a lot of sports. And maybe that's just because it's in Dallas... And hockey's not a natural, you know, it's new comparatively here. And so if people are fans of the sport, it's because they've sought it out. It's, they're not reactionarily being a fan. You can be a Cowboys fan by accident, mm-hmm. but you're not going to accidentally become a Stars fan. Not, well, not, um, not, not in the past decade. <laughs> right, right. Um, so those people, I feel like, are the people who have given it some thought. And people that are giving things thought, I feel like, are more of my people. So... Um, so I want to be a hockey fan. Like I want to have that level of relation with people who I think are good people. But man, I just—it's just so much. And if I became a huge hockey fan, like I don't know how Bob Sturm does it. <laughs> Bob, Bob Sturm, like Bob knows football in and out. He knows hockey in and out, and then he knows basketball in and out. He wrote a and book on the Mavericks, didn't he? I don't remember. If so, I haven't yeah, read it. Okay. But. But then, you know, the first conversation we had, he talked about, like, you know, football or baseball was the one sport that I had to punt because he was kind of saying the same thing. Like, you know, it's football season, it's basketball season, it's hockey season. And then if I get really into baseball, then I have no time throughout the year that I can really just kind of take a breath. Mm -hmm. So baseball becomes the one sport that I just don't get out to the park. I don't like I kind of had to punt on baseball. I'm like, cool, that's understandable. And. And that was at the time that we were trying to get him to join the upset before the upset became part of the athletic. I'm like, well, that, we got you covered there, man. Like, I can do the baseball stuff. And then later on in the conversation, he's talking about, like, Austin Bibbitt's Dirks. And he's talking about, like, de- the Rangers' depth up the middle in the minor leagues. I'm like, dude, you were just, like, carpetbagging me, telling me you didn't know anything <laughs> about baseball. And here you are talking knowledgeably. Like, you know what you're talking about, about the Rangers' minor league system. So... I don't, I don't know how they do it. Like, I I wish... And he'll talk about TV on, on the Bob and Dan show, and he'll talk about a new record he's listening to. They're like, you just don't sleep, man. Maybe that's it. Maybe I just need to stop sleeping. Maybe. That's... The, uh... It's, it's interesting to me. One thing that it's... I thought I would... And I don't know. I guess we'll see. This, this will be an interesting fall for me, because this is the first... Obviously, we... I had a full-time job for the full-time job in one realm for the first time this past February once the athletic came to Dallas. But um, one thing that I always ran into, which was interesting to me, was I don't understand, and I give people a lot of credit who do, um, I didn't watch much NFL football or anything like that because I would go cover a high school football game on Friday. Uh um, And then maybe I would tune into a college football game on Saturday, and by Sunday I would just get burned out on football. Right. And it's something where I'm not, and I realize I may be insulting lots of Texans by saying that, but I got burned out on it by after watching one game in person and then doing all that. And right. it's, um, yeah, I, yeah. 
And on the flip side, I, I laugh at myself because, like, yesterday I watched parts of four hockey games while doing ho- work around the house. And, right. right. And then I willingly drove, then we just drove down, driving down to watch a game tonight. Right. So I sit up until 2 in the morning watching the Cubs-Cardinals go 14 innings. Like, you know? It's, yeah. What burned me out on football, honestly, was, like, like, the Cowboys have always been my team. Mm-hmm. Even growing up, like I was born in Colorado, and I kind of like, but we moved to Texas when I was three. So, soft spot in my heart for the Broncos because that's where I was born. But the Cowboys, oh. even even though they traded away Herschel Walker, and I wrote Herschel Walker a letter when I was a child and said, "Please, you're my favorite player, and I heard you might get traded. I'm just like, please don't, don't get traded." <laughs> <laughs> And then he got traded to the Vikings, and I went out and I took my, uh, I had like one of those old Rydell like plastic helmets that would really probably do more to cause a concussion than prevent one. And it was a Cowboys helmet, obviously. And I took my mom's ceramic paint and I painted it purple, at, like for a, a, a Vikings helmet. Uh, but that was, I was acting out of anger. I was hurt, yeah. and hurt people hurt people, Sean. So that's, I was temporarily a Vikings fan because of Herschel Walker. It's funny because so I actually, even though I grew up in New Jersey first, I actually grew up a Cowboys fan because my dad was a huge Roger Staubach fan. Yep. So even though my entire family originated and grew up in New Jersey, um, and now is spread, spread, spread kind of everywhere, but um, my grandpa, my uh, my grandpa is a Giants fan. My uncle's a Giants fan. Uh-huh. Um, my other uncle's a Giants fan. The one weird younger uncle is a Jets fan. Um, so, yeah, um, but, you're the black sheep. But then family. my dad, my dad was a Cowboys fan because of Roger Staubach, and I grew up as a Cowboys fan, even though I had never been. I didn't move to Texas. I had never been to Texas before I got. I moved down here for work. Uh-huh. Um, so it's kind of funny to think about it that now I live within 20 minutes of where their yeah. enormous practice facility is, and I pay not pay less attention because I, I end up actually kind of trying. I end up trying to read whatever. Uh, Whenever we have quite a few Cowboys guys, so I try to keep up on date yeah. and just. And, and, but something where I'm not actively checking the watch or checking the calendar of oh, this is when they play this week or anything like yeah. that. So I'm going to make an admission, I think, here because yeah. you were talking earlier about how like you don't have to on social media like crap on other sports yeah. because yours is just valuable. Yeah. But I'm coming to the realization like that's where I started to get burned out on football was. In 2015, 2016, the Rangers were in a. They were in the hunt for the playoffs. They were. Mm-hmm. I think it was 15. They were in the hunt for the playoffs. They had just overtaken the Astros. They were a huge underdog. And here they are. They're about to clinch. Um, they're going to go to the playoffs. And. Oh, no, no, no. It was before. It was before they were going to clinch. They were. But they were. They just overtaken the Astros. They're getting to be first in the division. I think it was maybe a, a, a game against the Astros. Important game. Like, getting to the late part of the season, important game, and the Cowboys had a preseason game, and they preempted the Rangers on the radio. Ah. And, like, I... It just seems so... Un- and I get it. I get it. The Cowboys are a bigger draw. They're, there's fewer Cowboy games, and so when there is one, even if it's a preseason game, like, you have to mm-hmm. honor that. It's not like I couldn't hear the Rangers game. Like, I could just flip over to KRLD or 1080 or whatever it was. But I felt so, like, personal. This is before I was... I was not a, a, a sports journalist at this point, so I didn't have to be objective. I felt personally aggrieved by the fact that they would let a Cowboys preseason game preempt this Rangers baseball game when they were, like... They're, they're 
overtaking the Astros. They weren't supposed to do this. It's a huge, great underdog story. And you're going to put a preseason. Look, we're going to listen to fourth grade, fourth, fourth string practice squad guys when we could be listening to them overtake the Astros for the division lead. I'm so angry. So that's, that's where I started to get burned out on football. And maybe I need to reconsider because that seems really petty. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. We're not trying to rip on football at all. By, really? by no means at all. It's just, it's kind of becomes a bit of a, well, this... It's just so all the time around here. Like, like the Cowboys could make a roster move today. Mm-hmm. And it'd be, the, it'd be the front page of the newspaper tomorrow. And yeah, you know what? The Rangers are not winning. And... Well, yeah. I, I, I had a. Mo- I'll be. I'll admit it. I had a moment like that the other day where I will. Uh, I kind of laughed at myself. I caught myself right away, at least. But there was the uh, when uh, when the stars um, the stars news broke that the uh, basically the uh, basically the news broke that the stars were gonna got a new coach there's going to be uh yeah that's big news yeah and so then it's obviously it coincides like right around the time jason witten's going to retire which right. is a great story obviously right. jason Witten has done a lot for right. he's on the the huge list of icons for absolutely he's uh, he's on the cowboys mount rushmore but i remember seeing somebody on twitter who quote tweeted my stars report uh-huh. and they says i was like it's like should have waited another day to do this. <laughs> and I know, and it's just one of those things where I laugh at. Okay. I didn't make the decision when the news yeah. was going to break. So I, I just laugh at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow, we have a lot of content, and we're still over here now. Yeah, it's it's an hour and a half. Yeah. If you're fast-forwarding to the end, what we've learned uh, is... We talked more about life than sports, which yeah, is not did. a bad thing. No, that's good. And we've learned that we can both be really petty about football. Yeah. So um, we still enjoy football, but we... Uh, yeah. Um, like many things in life, it's it's a it's a spectrum. Yes. Um, well, um, I think that'll uh, do it. I'm actually kind of watching just because I'm going to try to hit the stop button right as it hits <laughs> 1 hour 30 minutes. 18 seconds left. I know. Um, but uh, read, uh, read The Athletic. Support us. Let us uh, put food on our tables. And, uh, yeah. Thanks, guys. I'm going to go give Levi a tour of Dell Diamond. Cool. Bye, everybody.